You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Tim and I have been learning about The Bachelor this week, and I know, I mean, it's been airing for probably like 15, 20 years or something. I don't know. Um, I've never actually watched a full episode before. I don't even think I've really watched an episode, maybe when it was on, like when I was in high school and someone else was watching it. And I always think of Tyra Banks, even though I know that's America's Next Top Model. <laughs> yeah, all I know about it is something about roses, right? I, I don't even know for sure. <laughs> Does he give the rose to the woman he wants to marry? Is I, that what it is? I don't know. Maybe that's how you stay on the show is you get a rose. Maybe Are we talking about <laughs> oh. the same show? I don't even know. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. So you yeah. do know more about The Bachelor than you let on. Well, I just remember a missionary friend mentioning one time <laughs> that he like went into the city, like into like Central Park in, in, in New York, and was just handing roses out to, to women. Um, not to be like creepy, but just to be like, you don't need to do anything to earn this rose. Like just, just have it, receive it and know that you're loved. And he said that so many women like were just really uncomfortable with that because maybe, uh, so many people have this experience that like, I have to earn something to, I have to do something to earn this love. And so for someone to give me a rose is like, they expect something of me now and how difficult it is for any of us to just receive love, even though we haven't earned it or haven't done anything we thought that we've done to earn it but just to receive it is so difficult. And our relationship with God is, you know, we haven't done anything to earn his love and we can't, and we can't do anything to lose it. And so it's just kind of built into us to receive love, even though we haven't earned it, but it's still so uncomfortable for us. And so when I think of The Bachelor, that's what I think of. <laughs> but we have really been schooled in knowledge of The Bachelor this week. I invited him a couple of minutes before the show was going, that is so gross. And he was learning about the fantasy suites. Um, so we'll be talking about The Bachelor. And I promise we know what we're talking about because there's been a lot of um, conversation and news articles about one of the contestants who's waiting till marriage to have sex. And she's actually having to address that on the show, um, much to her courage and faith, and I think at the same time her humiliation, how people are talking about her too. Uh, but really interesting, stay tuned. You'll at least be entertained by us talking about The Bachelor here. In the meantime, I wanted to talk, Father Tim, about the story of Julianne Huff. For those who don't know who she is, she has been a star for many years on Dancing with the Stars. Or, sorry, not a star. She is a star now. She was one of the star performers, the dancers. Her husband, Derek Huff, had performed as well. Um, she had won multiple seasons. Um, she is just an incredibly talented dancer, actress singer you've seen her in the movies now and she is just someone who has been full of life and I've followed her over the years because of my own background in dance and close proximity we used to go and see Dancing with the Stars in person all the time I had friends who were some of the dancers on Dancing with the Stars too who had worked with her and so I've been one to follow her on social media and a couple years ago I ended up unfollowing her not long after she got married back in 2017 because just some of her photos were a little too uh, 
too much nudity for me. And I didn't follow her story for a couple years and it ended up coming out. This woman who was larger than life, so excited to be married, um, so hungry to have children. She was one who called herself, uh, you know, someone who had baby fever since the time she was about five years old and she'd see babies and she just wanted to have a child ended up facing some real challenges in her marriage. And a lot of it's a very public. And so we want to dive into the topic of in vitro fertilization, um, her struggle with endometriosis, and now where she's saying that uh, she's not straight, she's bisexual. So Father Tim Grumbach, and I didn't mention earlier, he is the pastor at St. Augustine Parish in Los Angeles, helping with numerous ministries, not to exclude a trending. We also have Life Teen, you have young Catholic professionals and many others. Yeah, Culture Project, Net Missionaries, uh, yes. uh, Focus is uh, in Los Angeles with us as well. And so a lot of amazing things happening in Los Angeles. And I've got to say, you know, I've been having some great conversations with friends just in the last week. And we're so sure that God wants to do something specific here in Los Angeles uh, that will reverberate around the world. And so God is preparing something and he's bringing saints to Los Angeles right now. It's an amazing thing to see. And, um, you know, so that we can speak into situations like this, like Julianne's life, and yes. to know that it's not just something that's happening in the lives of people who, who are on TV and in the movies and singing and dancing and, and who are so visible. But, you know, these are stories that are, you know, that even our, our Catholics in our pews are experiencing. And, you know, Los Angeles is so in the spotlight that this is where God wants to start. Yeah, absolutely. When we look at Julianne Huff's story again, this girl is just larger than life. She's a joy to follow. And that's why, you know, I actually I don't follow a lot of people on social media. I don't pay a ton of attention, but she was one who I had for years. And so I remember when she came out right around when she got married, maybe a little before sharing that she had endometriosis. And for those who don't know, and this is actually a neat moment for us to share about it a little bit. Uh, endometriosis is a reproductive um basically disease that impacts about one in 10 women and it can be extremely painful basically where um, s tissue that is meant to be inside your uterus it gets outside of the uterus so it's endometrial tissue and again it's extremely painful it can actually prevent women from being able to conceive and carry to term a baby and so she has been a awesome advocate for speaking up about endometriosis and helping to create awareness um, and my heart just aches for her because I wish she knew and if you or someone you know experience endometriosis polycystic ovarian syndrome or any type of reproductive gynecological issue, and maybe you're facing infertility, please, I encourage you to check out NAPRO Technology. I'll post a link in the show notes. Just head over to radiotrending.com uh, because they are an incredible aid in helping to treat uh, these serious reproductive issues and help women to have children. And man, if anyone knows Julianne Huff, I wish they could share this information with her because she's actually gone through at least one, if not multiple rounds of in vitro fertilization now. Mm -hmm. And because there are so many women experiencing this, and you know, again, like the last episode we were talking about, how many people are experiencing STDs and different kind of woundedness in our church that we may not even know about, and we may end up ignoring these people and not even really bringing them into the community and, and causing even more isolation. Is That's so important that we can look to someone like Julianne, who's so much in the spotlight, that she's sharing her story, but that by, through that, we can invite other, other women experiencing this and, uh, and the men in their lives as well, the significant others who, uh, who might be suffering in a way because of infertility and because we know that you know, we don't know, you know 
for sure what the cause of this is, and we don't know for sure what can cure it. But that is, it is an experience of suffering that is a part of the mystery of suffering that we as Catholics know that there's, you know, not an easy answer, but we know there's an answer and it's in the cross of Christ and how we unite those sufferings that it's not, we're not always looking for a cure, but we're looking for a way to unite it so that our suffering can be of good to other people who are suffering. And I don't always have the, we don't have the answer for a lot of the crosses that people are asked to carry. Um, But what I do know is that when we're asked to carry a cross, if we try to get rid of it, if we try to go around it in the wrong way, We cause other problems in our lives. And I think that that's where this story with Julianne Huff is actually becoming really, really sad. She hit the news pretty intensely at the beginning of the year, probably toward the end of January, because there was a video that came out of her. She was speaking about self-expression, because if you don't know, she's founded this workout routine called Kingry or Kingry, however you say it, and it's a fusion of dance and exercise, and it's all about freedom and self-expression. And since she's gotten into this workout type of routine, um, a few months into starting this and about four months into her marriage, she ended up sharing with her husband, hey, honey, by the way, her husband is the National Hockey League player, Brooks Lake. And Brooks Lake um, is looking at her and she goes, hey, honey, you know, I'm not straight. Right. And he's kind of like one of those. Excuse me. What? And basically he has gone down that path with her as she talks about exploring and discovering her sexuality because she said it's through this self-expression, freedom, dance and exercise program that she realized I'm actually not straight. And so that's kind of the backstory. And Father Tim, I want to get your thoughts on this to, you know, after rounds of IVF, after, you know, this new dance program coming out as bisexual. Now she's speaking at this conference about self-expression and she ends up on a table and this person is doing something to her, not really even touching her, I don't think. And she is like coming up off the table like this girl's possessed. Right, right. It's as if they're tapping into demons now, right? Yes. Um, This matter of self-expression, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is looking at the the story of Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. and how often that story is distorted as God trying to take away human self-expression. You know, how dare God hinder man's self-expression and ability to decide for himself what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the, those are the words of the serpent in the first place is trying to uh, convince us that God's motivations are not for holiness and to indeed open our eyes and to indeed let us be like him, but that God desires it for us on his own terms, not our own. Mm-hmm. And so this radical self-expression, this radical autonomy that has become almost a virtue uh, of its own in our culture is actually something that is imprisoning us to our own passions. So rather than you know binding ourselves, right, as as the word obligation you know, has a, a connotation of binding ourselves to something, the word religion has a connotation of binding ourselves to one another and to God, that um, this radical self-expression treats religion and obligation as something that hinders us in our humanity and makes us less human. But we know that being bound to God and being bound to one another, that the greatest saints have always said we belong to one another, that we are obligated to one another, we are religioned to one another, bound to one another, and this radical self-expression is a lie that we tell ourselves. Uh, You shared that that video of Julianne during an interview, 
And she said these things like, I, you know, I have nothing to be ashamed of, which is beautiful, right? You know, if to live in Christian freedom, which I, you know, I don't know if she's finding her freedom in Christianity, mm-hmm. but she grew up in a Mormon home. I believe, right. That's right. That's very right. broken home too. And she says she's uh, fa- you know, fallen away from that. And, uh, but that it was something that gave her an ethics in her life and a morality, you know, and to say that, you know, I'm here to debunk beliefs that there's something wrong with you, that you can't do something. And it's trying to, you know, create this illusion of radical uh, and absolute autonomy yeah. that I can do whatever I put my mind to. Well, what happens when you fail, even though you've tried your hardest? Yeah. You know, is is that so soul crushing because you've built your identity on being able to do whatever you set your mind to, rather than in our Christianity and our virtues, our Christian virtues, understanding that we have limits and we're bound to one another because we are part of the body of Christ, and that not everybody is meant to be a hand and a foot and an eye and a mouth, and that we're all parts and that we are limited, but that's because we need each other. And also that we can't just become nothing by trying to be everything right, as well. Yeah. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. You know, it's interesting because Julianne ended up posing naked on the front of Women's Health magazine, the Naked Strength Edition. And, you know, it's this idea of being really empowering. And she ends up sharing a lot in this interview. And she's been very public about her marriage. And I just can't imagine how difficult that has to be. And I know we've seen various stories of very public marriages over the years where sometimes they're so public, it begins to weigh on the marriage. And I think that although she tries to say that talking publicly about her IVF and talking about all these different things is a means of self-help and self-expression, I think that she's just exposed so much to the world it's become hard and she feels like she has to say these things to make herself sound tough. And it's sad because she was talking about, and I'm paraphrasing here, but how um, you need to connect to the woman inside. And she talks about how the woman inside of her who doesn't need anything, how important it is to connect to that woman inside that doesn't need anything at all. And she compares that to how she used to be, quote, that little girl who looked to him to protect me, referring to her husband. Mm. And I just think that's really sad because Unfortunately, I think a lot of women are um, really pushed to say, you're totally independent. You don't need a man. You don't need any of this. Well, this is a really broken girl who wants to have a great marriage, who wants to have children. And now through this, you know, radical self-expression, through seeking out in vitro fertilization, we've talked about some of the harms and we'll talk about a little bit again again soon of in vitro fertilization this woman's hurting to the point where she's rejecting her own husband and the need for him right and it that, i mean that denies our humanity just at a very philosophical basic philosophical level as contingent beings and to be able to use that language that that means we are not necessary that we have been created and we did not create ourselves and it's not necessary that we exist in a sense we could say we are necessary to god but even god in himself doesn't need us. He would be perfectly happy and in love, in the perfect love of the Holy Trinity, that when God created the heavens and the earth, it's done in such a language that it's not, you know, oh, I'm so lonely, I think I'll create something so I'm not lonely anymore. But that it's all of creation is an overflowing of the love of the Holy Trinity that pours out. And so we are the result of an act of love, that there is no creature that is not the result of an act of God's holy and divine Trinitarian love, which means that we are not necessary. Mm -hmm. 
but that you're irrelevant right that who yeah. you are doesn't yeah. matter and i know people might say she's just saying she doesn't depend on a man no she's saying that some of the strengths and gifts that a man has to offer are irrelevant and that's actually quite offensive. Right, right. You know, again, God creating us male and female, creating us for relationship and complementarity. But that, you know, again, ultimately, we are not necessary to creation, which means either we're a mistake <laughs> or we're wanted. Yeah. And we know as Christians that we are not a mistake. We are wanted, we are desired, we are loved into being, created by love, for love. And to speak of ourselves as utterly and absolutely autonomous, and to have that, that, that radical self-expression is to ignore our contingency, that, yeah. that we are not needed, but we are created and we are loved. And so to think that I don't need anything from anyone, it, it ignores who we are as human persons and you know, who we are at the very core of our uh, being as created. And it has to feel lonely at a certain point. Mm. And, you know, I look at what she's going through with this in vitro fertilization journey. And this woman, it's come out over since the beginning of the year. She's not been wearing her wedding ring much. There's talk of them splitting up. They're trying to work it out. Um, her and her husband, Brooks Lake. And I look at just the impact of IVF alone. In vitro fertilization does involve abortion. It does involve experimentation on new human life in the earliest stages of development. It does involve putting the woman's body through traumatic overabundance of ovulation, of creating multiple eggs at once, like the body super ovulates. Our bodies were not created to do that, ladies. If you believe the lie that IVF is the only option for your future after the heartbreak of infertility, Trust me when I say you deserve better than this horrible health care. I know so many women who go through IVF. And did you know this? It's not successful most of the time. Most people go through it over and over again. And many people go through it and it's never effective. I know women who have not been able to cope in their day-to-day -day lives after having done just one round of in vitro fertilization because of the impact on their bodies and the impact on the relationship with their spouse. Yeah, and it's really important that you did mention that it does come from a place of heartbreak, of infertility, and that you know our role is not to assume that they're doing this because they, because it's an evil thing and they like doing evil things, but that it's coming from a desperate place of I want to bring life into this world, but then also you know what is that doing to the heart? Is it's it's you know so much of the suffering that we encounter as Christians, we know that we encounter it because Christ is inviting us to His cross. And so to find ways, uh, you, know, let, you know, not natural ways um, to avoid that cross is going to do something to our hearts. And when God means to shape our hearts by the suffering that we encounter, not because he says, I'm going to make you suffer and I'm going to enjoy it, but that he can use the suffering that we encounter, whether because of our sin or because of what someone else has done to wound us, even you know, not by our own fault, that to try to avoid that cross and to do it in an unnatural way is going to do something more to our heart. It's not, it's not only going to not let God shape it the way he wants it to, but it's going to shape it in another way. And so, yeah, we want to know Julianne's story. We're not you know, trying to pretend that we know her story better, that we know what's going on in her heart. But we see this and our concern is that she's going about this in a way that's only going to bring a deeper sorrow and loneliness. And it's going to hurt her relationship with her husband. You know, and uh, and so much of my mind 
you know, first goes to, you know, marriage preparation and the kind of questions that we ask, you know, is there something that you're aware of in your heart that will affect your relationship with your spouse that needs to be talked about now before marriage? And I don't know what her story is with her, you know, ex, you know, her self-expression and her, you know, what she considers an identity, a sexual identity and orientation. If she knew this before marriage, but was hiding it, you know, how that affects, you know, a person's relationship with their spouse is to have first be hiding something and then for it to come out. And so many of these questions keep coming up is, you know, there's a reason we as a, a Catholic church do preparation the way that we do it. It's so that there doesn't have to be anything that spouses are hiding from one another. And, but also that you don't have to identify yourself by your attractions. You know? mm-hmm. So the question comes up, what does it matter between her and her spouse, her husband, that she has attractions to women as well? Because if, you know, if she were to live it in the way we understand a Christian marriage, you say, yes, those attractions are there, but you're called to live a life of chastity where you have one and only one legitimate place for romantic expression. And that's not going to be with other people that you might be attracted to, whether male or female. And so, you know, these questions come up in marriage preparation because we're getting at the heart of who we are as human persons created by and for love. And that we're not meant to hide something. You know, these relationships are meant to be a place of rest and Sabbath. But then, you know, to hide something from someone, you know, the whole it's better to ask forgiveness than permission sort of thing is exhausting and it kills who we are. Yeah. And I look at her and I think she tried. You know, I think she really did try when she first came out to her husband saying, hey, I'm not straight. You know that, right? She didn't say, but I choose you. And I choose you. And I think that that is, there's so much strength in that. But at a certain point, when we start looking at other means to conceive a child, when we start exploring outside of ourselves, when it becomes about us and our self-expression, at a certain point, we just start choosing ourselves. And this is the battle that we all face when we're confronted with the issue of sin. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I want to talk about The Bachelor here. So a lot of people have been writing in because there's been a lot of conversation surrounding this year's contestant, Madison Pruitt. She is a, actually, she helps to recruit parents for foster children to foster. Really neat. She's a Christian she is a virgin, which has been the talk of the town. I mean, isn't it fascinating that the culture is like talking all over about this girl's virginity? And it's like they're fascinated with her. It's like playing with a toy that is off limits for them. And so Madison Pruitt has said that she will not sleep with Peter, Peter Weber, who is the main you know, bachelor this year looking for a wife. And I guess that there's this thing, and Father Tim, you and I were both learning about it this week, the fantasy suite that takes place like just a week before the guy makes the engage the um, engagement offer right proposes and that often the men end up sleeping with the various women a week before proposing to a woman like to me that's just insane this is the specific context of my earlier comment about that's gross <laughs> that's so yeah. gross father tim's looking at the wall earlier before the show and he's like that is so gross, and he just keeps saying it over. Like that is it's so gross. Yeah, yeah. You know, not not to be a you know, an, an unhealthy way so judging, of you know 
to say that people who slept with other people before they got married, oh, you're so gross. That's not what I'm saying, but just that it's something that's created as a TV show for yeah. entertainment. I mean, you know, it's not the ideal, right? It, you know, we, we want to invite people into a, a, a chaste and, and pure relationship so that they can be married and, and come to know each other in that intimate way that no one else has. Yes, we want that, but people are going to be entering into relationships without that kind of past with with a past where they you know may have had multiple partners or something like that that you know I'm not calling you gross but um, that it has been created as something that is a, a storyline for our entertainment is really disturbing to me. Well, and here's how the storyline continues to get worse because in this season, they changed it up. So not only is it the fantasy suite and the possibility of an overnight stay one of the options, but now all of the three final contestants or however many there might be right there in the end are also staying with each other. Those three girls are staying with each other while some of them are overnight with the guy that they may marry. I mean, how awkward and uncomfortable that is. Of course, they're making this into entertainment because, of course, there's something there that touches on the human heart of the women who are about to possibly accept a proposal. And that's why they're using it for entertainment. And it's so rough because, as we said before, these relationships become a place of competition rather than a place of rest and coming to know who we are and who we were created to be. And so to look at The Bachelor kind of uh, promoting this image of relationship is really disheartening. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. That's right. Father Tim Grumbach and I are talking about The Bachelor, both of which we have not ever seen an episode. But it's been in the news because they have a virgin on the show and she's waiting till till marriage to have sex. And there's this huge controversy because apparently Peter, who's The Bachelor, has not been informed of this up until the most recent week of the show. And everyone has been talking a lot about how manipulative it is of her to say that she won't accept his proposal if he sleeps with the other girls during the fantasy suite round, which we were just talking about. Because fantasy suite round, for those who don't know, is basically where they have an overnight stay and he may or may not sleep with the women. It happens in the past usually. So basically, Madison ends up sharing with Peter that she is a virgin, is waiting till marriage, and she's would not be okay with him sleeping with the other girls. And so a lot of people are, are complaining that she basically gave him an ultimatum. And I'm just fascinated by the online commentary, Father Tim, because people are actually thinking that it was wrong of her both to wait so long to tell him, but then too, to give him that ultimatum. Yeah, it's almost a counterfeit of understanding uh Christian virtue as a weapon against the world, as if we're trying to maliciously um, affect relationships between people. Well, really, it is in a holy way a weapon against the world, against our, our you know, disordered desires. And and let's be real here: is it's gross, right? That's all I can say about this this concept of the 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 fantasy suite and the chance for this bachelor. And I'm, yeah, that that's the right word for it. This is not a man living in chastity. This is a man. Uh, who is taking advantage of other people for his own sake. You know, that's kind of how we've understood 
term bachelor as celibate priests. And, and when we were seminarians preparing for our promises and for the priesthood was that, you know, priests are, are not bachelors. You know, you know we're, we're not married to a, a specific person, but we're not bachelors. We're not living for ourselves. We're not living unmarried so that we can do whatever we want. And that's kind of the way that this is being presented is that this is not a, a man who's seeking virtue. This is a man who's seeking pleasure. Yeah. Uh, at the expense of these these women who have been placed in front of him as something to be used. Yeah. And it just continues to rub me wrong. Just days before he's going to propose to one of the final contestants, he has the opportunity and option to sleep with them. And I think that, you know, a lot of people love The Bachelor. They don't miss a single season, a single episode. There's something to be said of this hunt for a spouse, right? And how love is something that is so prominent on our minds and relationships and kind of the happily ever after. But at the same time, here's a show where they're literally saying here, try this person on, try this body on, try this girl's emotions on. Try, you know, to chemically bond yourself both emotionally, chemically, spiritually with this person to the point you guys, here's the aftermath. He and she who sleep together will always have a bond that ties them to one another. So that means that there are going to be memories written into the body and soul of those people that when they engage in sexual intimacy one day with their actual spouse or other partners, they're still going to be reminded of those past sexual encounters. Yeah, and it's another thing that comes up a lot when um, preparing couples for marriage and there's you know cohabitation happening. They're, they're already living together and you know I won't get into any, any specific conversations, of course, but something that always comes up in my mind is sometimes people will begin to mention something about, well, it's, it's good for us to practice. You know, they won't use that language, thankfully, uh, when speaking to me. But, <laughs> you know, it's a language in the culture of you need to get some practice before you get married, right? You want to, you want to, you know, it's a test run of sorts. But ultimately, how good can that practice be, that test run be, if you're really, you know, you think you're practicing for married life, but you're not living married life. You're just living in the same space. You've not made the promises to one another that have bound you to one another in front of the community, in front of the church, and you still have the opportunity to leave. That is hardly what I would call a, a legitimate test run. It's the use of one another. Right. Yeah. You, you, may, you may be able to express some really profound love to one another, but if we really believe what we say we believe about marriage as a sacrament, as something that binds people to, together sacramentally to reveal the love of God to the world through their sacrament, then uh, to, to live together, and you know, there are so many couples preparing for marriage who are already living together, and in a sense, we have to walk with them where they're at. But we also have to challenge them to live chastity. How how is this relationship and living with your fiance helping you to grow in chastity? And it's a, a difficult and important question to consider. But when it comes down to it, you're not actually practicing for married life. You're practicing for, dare I say, a sort of infidelity where you are now living with someone who is not your spouse. Mm. And that's what you're practicing, I'm afraid to say. I just want to make two other comments when dealing with the bachelor issue. When you're okay with having sex outside of marriage, you're saying you're okay with having sex with someone who is not your spouse. And I know this is something that has been said for years in the chastity education program. Again, when you're okay with having sex outside of marriage, you're saying I'm perfectly okay with having sex with someone who isn't my spouse. 
because that mindset is going to enter into your marriage. And so say maybe you're like, oh, no, no, no. I believe in marital fidelity. Once I marry, I marry. Okay, but what's going to keep your roaming body from being a roaming eye and looking at pornography, of entertaining other emotional relationships, of turning back to past relationships? This is part of the reason why infidelity is so real in our culture. And my second comment to follow up with that, if you do not learn how to be chased outside of marriage, you will never be chased inside of marriage. And I say the same thing about the priesthood. If you don't learn how to be chased before being a priest, you will not be chased when you're a priest. And I think this is why we've had the crisis in the church and the crisis of marriage that we've been facing. Yeah, we believe in an ontological change that happens in holy orders, but that doesn't mean you're just going to flip a switch and you know, all sexual di- desire will go away. It's something that has to, um, well, it takes a lifetime to perfect. It takes a, a, a lifetime of sacrifice, but also of you know, receiving it as a charism. And so, yes, it's, it's something that we can speak of as a church, even within marriage, is chastity as a charism as well. And it's something that's not, you know, a couple is not going to be able to do by themselves, on, by their own efforts. It's something that must be prayed for and, and fasted for. And, you know, even almsgiving, since we're entering into Lent, that is something that builds a generosity of heart. And so chastity within marriage, within the priesthood, with any other state of life is a matter of great generosity and sacrifice. Amen. I want to talk about another story here, and that is the conversation surrounding the Dodgers and the Astros, which I know Father Tim's going to get pretty worked up over here being a Dodgers fan. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray, that's Father Tim Grumbach. I think we just lost all our Angels fans, right? (laughs) I'm an Angels fan. (laughs) We're looking at the Angels Stadium right now from the Tower of Hope. So tell us what's been going on over the really the World Series and holding mm-hmm. this title. So over the last couple of years, it's been revealed that the Houston Astros had a rather elaborate uh, scheme of being able to steal the catcher's signs that go to the pitcher uh, every play of the game. And they were using technology to film the catcher making the sign and then uh, I'm assuming some kind of radio transmission to get it to somebody who was in the dugout who would bang a trash can. And depending on the sound of the trash can, the batter would know what kind of pitch was coming their way. And so you can even look at some of the statistics of um, some of the most prominent Astros players during the playoffs during 2017 when they beat the Dodgers in the World Series. And, uh, and I believe they uh, uh, made it quite far last year as well. And so that um, these statistics of these players you know, went out, you know, out the roof is that their, their numbers went up because they knew which pitches were coming and they were able to, to hit better. Even one of them was the MVP of that year. And so to see the way that their, their statistics were boosted and they even won a World Series because of their ability to know what the other team was doing before they did it, you know, that's a, a great scandal of cheating in baseball and in you know, baseball history. Honest, let's be honest about baseball. Um, you're always going to try and take it as far as you can um, to bend the envelope before cheating because the ability of these players is one of the, the, the most difficult abilities in all of professional sports is to hit a ball that's coming at you from 90 to 100 miles per hour and you have so much less than a second to make your decision of how you're going to hit that ball. And so you're always looking for some kind of advantage that, that may kind of toe the line. And literally, you know, that, that phrase may even come from the way that they'll kind of step back and kind of smear the, the batter's box a little bit so they can stand where they need to. And so there's always a history of cheating or coming up to that line in baseball. But the, the Houston Astros kind of 
stepped over that line over the last couple of years. And now there's so much demand for that World Series to be taken away, for the players to be punished. But the only punishment that seems to have happened is, you know, the front office of the Astros were fined, their manager and general manager were fired, which ironically actually freed up a lot of their space for uh, salary for other <laughs> players. And, um, and so there's so much that happened. One of the things that happened also is that um, certain pitchers on the Dodgers are seen now as not being able to deliver in the clutch. In the most important games of their careers, they got hit like crazy and uh, you know, may have lost uh, certain bigger contracts that could have come their way that uh, other teams wouldn't sign them because, oh no, they can't pitch while in the clutch. And so this cheating is something that didn't just affect their ability to win, the Astros, but it affected the careers of the players that they were playing against. And that's a, uh, those are pretty dire straits. And that um, you know, their desire to win at that cost affected the livelihood of other players. What we're going to see over this year, as expected, is that more and more Astros players will be thrown at, that the pitchers will be throwing at these players. And there's going to be a great irony because none of the players were suspended for this. Mm -hmm. But if these pitchers throw at the Astros players as a kind of retaliation for being cheated against, those pitchers are going to be suspended. So more pitchers on other teams are going to be suspended than Astro players were suspended for cheating. And so, you know, how does this touch our spiritual lives? Well, it's, it's the way that, you know, our sin can be seen as a form of cheating and a way that affects not just us and our ability to try and, and get away from the love that God is calling to us in a deep and sacrificial way, but it's affecting the community around us and people that we may not even expect that it's affecting. That sin is not merely a personal thing, but it's a communal thing. And we can understand it as a form of cheating against God. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. You know, as I'm following the story here surrounding the World Series title of the Astros and the Dodgers, and Father Tim Grumbach here is discussing a major Dodgers fan, by the way. And We bleed Dodger blue in the Grumbach house. <laughs> And I keep thinking about how when we sin, there's an injustice done. Like cheating cheats someone out of what they deserve. And justice, ultimately, the church talks about what is justice. Justice is giving others their due, what they deserve. Like justice is about giving like the bare minimum of what someone should have. And I think that's what's so wrong about cheating and why having this culpability morality about how we conduct our business affairs, our finances, you know, even just teaching kids how to play soccer against each other without cheating. All of these things really do matter. But I think that it's a sign of the times when the Astros aren't losing their title, when the Astros continue to move on without being punished for this, and the culture's okay with it and moves along. Yeah. Well, you know what? The culture is not okay with it, actually. It seems that the Houston culture seems to be okay with it, but there's so much... Uh, desire for retaliation throughout Major League Baseball, at least in, you know, at the level of the fans. Um, but I remember seeing that one of the Dodgers was saying, well, we didn't win that title. We didn't have the parade. We didn't lift the trophy. We don't really want that title. You know, I think you know, we as Dodger fans, we still want that title. Uh, <laughs> I'll be happy to take that title. You know, but there is something about you know, wanting to win it on the field and to be able to celebrate it on the field. And without that, it's, it, it's just not the same thing. And so as, as a Dodger fan, 
you know, this, this reaches deep into my bones and into my blood. It's, it's not just a matter of, oh, that's, that wasn't fair, but it was something that, you know, this is something that I grew up with and it felt like somebody reached into my childhood, even though this was like, you know, a couple years ago yeah. that it, it, they, they reached into something that was so important to me and, and took it away unjustly. And you said that, you know, justice is giving to someone that is their due, but we as Christians are called to more than justice, but to charity and charity being giving to someone what is our due in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so justice, giving to them what is their due and charity giving uh, to another what is our due and giving ourselves away. And so it's important for us as fans, you know, this is entertainment, this is a game, but it's also a business and it's affecting people's careers and livelihoods that we need to you know, approach it from a, a way where we can be fans and, and heckle and whatnot. But you know, how is it affecting our the way we trust one another? How is it affecting the way that um, we view our own attempts at cheating, uh, of you know finding the easy way out of the hard kind of ways that love that God calls us to? And I think it's so easy sometimes to always look for the shortcut. Mm -hmm. How can I do this the easiest way? How can I you know experience the least amount of pain? But the reality is, is just like when we were talking earlier about Julianne Huff's story and the battle of infertility. And trust me, you know I get it. These are difficult circumstances. You know, even you know playing in the World Series. You know, you have worked your whole life to get to this point. But the reality is, is that our sin impacts other people. And I keep thinking about some of the stories we're seeing in the culture right now. And I can't help but think about the Tower of Babel mm. and how here we are. We just turn to Genesis chapter 11 and here are all the people trying to create a name for themselves, trying to create like the most ideal and perfect social and political atmosphere. And what happens? God ends up recognizing that these people, if they are left to this, are going to just worship themselves. They're going to separate themselves from their creator and make themselves their own God. Yeah, that makes us less human and so less divine as God, de as God desires to make us. And I think that at a certain point, you know, when we focus so much inwardly, we begin to lose sight of one another. And I think that this is something I see in the story of Julianne and the sad struggle with her and her husband and just kind of the culture around that. But even the story with the Astros, we are at the point where we can't even communicate and understand each other at all. And if you look at the Tower of Babel, God was concerned that if we continued to just kind of self-glorify well, how far would the people go? And so that's where he allows for the language to be confused and for the people to be spread out across the world. Well, we're at a point in human history where we know what's happening on the other side of the world instantly, where there's so much news that we're overwhelmed by it. We don't know what to do. We feel helpless. You see people posting this on social media when there's a national disaster, when there's war. But I think it's because we're not supposed to be so closely connected to a person on the other side of the world that we're trying to fix their problems. And I think that that's part of the problem. You know, we forget that sin's social, but at the same time, we forget that we have our own people that we are surrounded by that we need to work on doing well by and being just to. Yeah, and that's one of the great things of the, the lessons from St. Mother Teresa is that she would always welcome people to come to Calcutta and to serve the poor who were dying in the gutters there. But she would say, you know, go home. There's a Calcutta where you're from and there are people who need to be loved who are right in front of you. Yeah. And you coming over here can be a, a way to run away yeah. from what God is asking you to love right in front of you. I, I mean, it's the same thing when I had a chance to go visit Haiti and the priest who was there doing an amazing things, Father Tom Hagen, that he said the same thing to us on the way home was, you know, we want you to come back. We would love for you to be here. But there are people um, in your streets who are dying 
who need you to love them, um, who are right in front of you. And, you know, I can very much say the same thing at St. Augustine's is, you know, we, we have, you know, underneath there are freeways that are close by what people are calling Skid Row West. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who are dying in our streets and I don't need to go very far. I can walk to, you know, I mean, we have people sleeping in our pews during the day who we get to, to know by name and we you know, will from time to time offer them some food and sit down and with, with them and get to know their story a little bit if they want to share it with us is that there are people right in front of us and that the sin could be to run away from what's right in front of us and to look for the easy way out and make ourselves busy with all number of things in the office, but miss that there are people right in front of us who need to be loved. The other part that reminds me of the Tower of Babel is God scattered them. And I think part of that is because they tried to control everything. Mm -hmm. They tried to control the perfect government, the perfect political system, the perfectly tall building to create that great tower. And yet they forgot about serving God and instead they served mammon. And if we look at, you know, Jesus Christ himself and Matthew chapter six says that no one can serve both God and mammon and mammon is an Aramaic word for wealth, right? And for having kind of wealth in the sense of worshiping, you know, the things even that we create with our own hands. And this is how we get so distracted. Well, I can't have a baby. I'm going to create my own baby in a lab. I can't win this. So I'm going to create my own way to win it by cheating. You know, whatever we can do, we're going to get around the right and proper way to do things. And we begin to self-worship and take God out of the picture. Right. And to look at a story, especially a story like the Tower of Babel, uh, to look at the fall with Adam and Eve in chapter three of Genesis, and to think that was just something that happened in the past and doesn't, you know, may have a distant effect on how we live now. But those stories were being told in the Hebrew culture and in the Hebrew poetry and and worldview as this is us too. Mm -hmm. This isn't just a story from the past. You know, I am Adam and Eve. I I am those who tried to build the tower. But praise God, he doesn't leave us in those places, even though it's still happening now in our hearts. So we see it as, you know, it happened back then, it happens now, but also there's there's a healing that happens in the future. And, uh, And it was actually begun at Pentecost. You know, how did God heal the wounds of Babel? Well, having separated their languages and made it so that we cannot communicate to one another as God intends us for intends for us to do, is that on on the the morning of Pentecost, when the disciples are shot out of that upper room to go and proclaim that Christ is alive, more alive than ever, they are speaking whatever language that they're speaking, but everybody with these separated and broken languages can understand them, no matter what language they spoke before. And so Pentecost was the beginning of this healing from what happened at Babel. And so this sending of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love and humility, is meant to be the solution that allows us to communicate. And so in our desire to be impressive, in our desire to have control, we're not going to be able to communicate with each other this desire to cheat and to get ahead at all costs, we're not going to be able to communicate with each other, right? We were made for communion and relationship. And when we seek the easy way out of that, you know, we're, we're building up Babel <laughs> and God will tear it down. He will tear down our desire to be impressive, but then he'll send his Holy Spirit to bring together, you know, not to make it one language all of a sudden, but to make it so that we can speak to one another in our diversity and our need for one another. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim Marie. In a couple weeks here, we're going to be taking your questions. So head over to RadioTrending.com. 
tap the contact page or head to Instagram or Twitter. You can find me at Tim Marie or send them to Father Tim as well. Questions that you have that you would like us to answer, to dive into something you've never been able to understand, something you're struggling with, please send them our way. We'll be gathering those together and preparing for a show with your questions and answers. Also, there's an episode of Trending that's only available on the podcast. If you want to go to radiotrending.com, it is not on the radio. And that is an episode with my husband, Gabriel, and I. So please go enjoy it. We're talking about dating, marriage, being Catholic, and much more. You know, Father Tim, as I keep coming back to this story of the Tower of Babel and Julianne Huff's own battle with infertility and in vitro fertilization, uh, I keep looking to the miracle of life in the scriptures. I mean, we start right at the very beginning with barren women who cannot have children, who are far beyond the years of being able to have children. You know, just to name a few, Hannah, right? We have Hannah, we have Elizabeth. And those are just two, one Old and one New Testament, but all throughout scripture, there are women who face the battle of infertility. And yet it's God's own miracle that brings about a child in life. And maybe God can bring about whether it's a child or some other gift or calling in your life. He will be there. He will answer your prayers. Maybe not in the timing or with exactly what you want, but he will. And he desires to be. This isn't God reluctantly giving us the gift of life and forgiveness and and any kind of love that he pours into our lives. This is something that God wants to do for us. And he invites us into the mystery of the cross and so into the mystery of the resurrection. That's Father Tim Grumbach. You're listening to Trending with Tim, where you can find more about Father Tim at radiotrending.com. Just head over to the contact page and connect with him on social media. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 